Gospel lesson for this morning is from the Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 4, well-known incident in the life of Jesus near the beginning of his ministry. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat upon the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing here? Jesus woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Instantly the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? And the disciples were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Remember that film, The Perfect Storm, with George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg about the Gloucester, Massachusetts fishing boat, the Andrea Gale, that was lost in the perfect storm in 1991? In Sebastian Junger's book and Wolfgang Peterson's film, a wonky meteorologist stares raptly at a computer screen and says, look at this. One hurricane Grace moving north up the Atlantic seaboard, huge and growing massive. Two, a low-pressure center south of Sable Island. Three, a cold front, low-pressure center swooping down from Canada. Wait, what if Hurricane Grace runs smack into it and this baby off Sable Island scrounging for energy should start feeding off the hurricane and the Canadian front. You could be a meteorologist all your life and never see anything like this. It would be a disaster of epic proportions. It would be, altogether now, the perfect storm. When I think about my country just now, that's the image that pops into my mind, the perfect storm. A pandemic, George Floyd, a withering economy, a second wave, an impossibly tight presidential election, 4,000 votes in Georgia last time I checked, the perfect storm, George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg climbing up the sheer wall of water in their tiny little boat. Full disclosure, I preached a different sermon with this same title and text in June of 2005 at my last church. It was the last Sunday before I was to leave on a three-month sabbatical. My son that summer was a rising senior in high school, and I wanted to show him this stunning land, so we drove to the West Coast 10,000 miles there and back. We took in the Grand Canyon and Yosemite, Arches, Canyonlands, Glacier. We were gone for three months. And so the senior pastor was out of town for a number of weeks. That very same Sunday, the same Sunday, we said goodbye to an associate pastor who was as beloved to that congregation as Joe is to us. 
We were very sad, but he too was leaving to accept a call to an exciting church, so we championed his decision. The day after I left, huge caterpillar machinery started tearing my church down with claws and hooks and battering rams. Glad I wasn't there to see the 30-foot void in the earth that was all that was left behind. For the next 18 months, we worshipped in a middle school auditorium and officed in an industrial park. We didn't know how much of the congregation would weather this storm and follow us to the new church we were building. Three weeks later, my minister of music resigned. He was just as beloved to that congregation as Lisa Bond is to us. I was driving up the Napa Valley when he called me on my cell phone to give me the bad news. I can still see in my mind's eye the vineyards we were driving past when he called. That same day, Kathy called me to tell me that lightning had struck her dental office. No one was hurt. The building survived. But at the time, it seemed like the coup de grace. Now, any one of those events would have stressed out the healthiest of congregations. But when they all converged in a perfect storm, it was really bad. Actually, now, from the perspective of 2020, all of that seems like Sunday in the park with George. But at the time, it was fairly terrifying. Happily, there's a word from the Lord on this. One day near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he decides to preach a sermon on the beach. But the crowds are large and aggressive and pressing in on him, so he hops into a little boat and uses the boat as a pulpit. He preaches for a little while and tells a few stories, strangely enough, about farmers, not sailors. And when he is finished, he tells his disciples to row him to the other side. He promptly falls asleep in the stern of the boat. In 1986, in the Sea of Galilee, they found a first century fishing boat, which must have been just exactly like the one Jesus and his disciples used. It was 26 feet long, 7 feet wide, and 4 feet from keel to gunwale, or about the size of your Sea Ray or Cobra or Chris Craft or Boston Whaler, whatever it is you use to ply Lake Michigan. In the Galilean boat, the helmsman stood on a platform in the stern of the boat and there was a little crevice beneath that was a very handy place to take a nap if you just preach a long sermon and you were exhausted. And so that's what Jesus does because as a landlock carpenter, he doesn't know a jib from a mainsail and so he'd just be in the way in this boat full of fishermen. Now the Sea of Galilee is a modest little freshwater lake. But fierce gales can slip through gaps in the surrounding mountain ranges, and this day, one does. The sails are flapping so wildly you can't hear yourself think. The boat is heeled over at 60 degrees. Waves are cresting the gunnels and swamping the boat. The fishermen come disciples are terrified, and Jesus just goes on snoozing away. He'd obviously had a rough day. I can sympathize. Preaching is not as easy as it looks. When they finally succeed in waking him up with a blunt rebuke to his indifference, he stands up and shouts at the wind and the waves, Peace, be still, our version of the Bible puts it. But actually the Greek imperative he uses is much stronger than that. One translator says that he says, Shut up, chill out. And instantly the winds cease 
The waves sit down like an obedient puppy dog, and there they sit, as idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean, as Coleridge puts it. So that Greek imperative Jesus uses is really to be translated, put a muzzle on it, relax, chill out. Mark tells us Jesus is speaking to the wind and the waves, but he could just as easily have been speaking to his terrified disciples. Relax, chill out, calm down, it's going to be all right. And the word from the Lord, of course, is that Jesus sleeps through many things that keep us awake all night. Why was he sleeping through Hurricane Grace? It's because of who he is and what he can do. The disciples are in the boat with Jesus, and at the beginning of his little gospel, Mark tells us that Jesus is the Son of the living God. This is the same God who brooded over the face of the deep at the beginning of time when there was nothing but a shapeless void and chaos reigned. This is the same God who, when Job complained about the inept management of the universe, thundered back, Where were you when I shut in the sea with doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stopped. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Where were you when I cut a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderbolt? Who is this then that even the sea and the waves obey him? Asked the disciples. You know, of course, that for the last 2,000 years, one of the commonest images of the Christian church is a tiny boat tossed to and fro by swelling waves on a restless sea. In the logo of the World Council of Churches, however, the boat is tiny and the waves are huge, but the mast is a cross. Even a muscular superpower can seem like a tiny boat tossed by swelling waves in a restless sea. When a hurricane of a pandemic converges with a northeaster of racial discord, joined by a cyclone of an impossibly tight presidential election. What does it mean for our democracy that three of the six presidential elections in the 2000s have been decided by a margin of four figures out of a total, nine-figure total, votes cast. In 2000, George Bush won Florida with 537 votes out of six million cast. Someone called that election not the perfect storm, but the perfect tie. Again this year, a near tie in Georgia. I don't know what that implies about our democracy, but it sure doesn't make anything easy. I will never trust another pollster again. President Trump says that they are corrupt, but I think probably they are just inept, or at least just too arrogant in their certitude. But it's working, yes? 
So far, no violence. Almost 160 million votes cast. The most as a percentage of the total since 1900. Did you know that in 1792, George Washington was re-elected by 6.3% of the total eligible voters? 160 million voices heard. The engine of democracy. All of those faithful, industrious vote counters. Making sure that all those voices are heard. As riven as this land surely is, we all want the same thing for our families, right? Good schools, safe cities, clean water, wild places. An honest job where you can feed a family if you work hard and cultivate your craft and honor your covenants and contracts and treat your customers with grace and respect. Equal opportunity for all Americans, no matter the color of your skin, the orientation of your sexuality, the religion you cling to, or the land you come from. That is the American dream that we will soon realize. We're going to be all right. Nationally, the perfect storm has brought anxious, unsettling, divisive times to our land. Locally, our beloved friend and pastor is leaving us. We are disconsolate, but overjoyed for the reason she is making this decision. A new adventure, more faithful ministry in another part of the one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. Isn't God good? Have we ever been alone? Aren't we all in the same boat? And isn't Jesus in there with us? Oh, it's true. Sometimes Jesus sleeps through things that keep us awake all night and terrify us. That doesn't mean he doesn't care. It just means that he's in charge. What manner of man is this that even the wind and waves obey him? The church, a church, any church, this church is a tiny boat tossed to and fro by swelling waves in a restless sea, but its mast is the cross in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.